Podcast. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. I'm the editor of Premier Christianity magazine and that is the publication that sponsors this show right here on Premier Christian Radio. Do hope you're having a great Saturday afternoon. We are going to sit down today with another guest. We like to delve into a person's life, faith and testimony right here on the show. And today my guest is the Reverend Dr. Clifford Hill. Dr. Hill is a sociologist and an author. He also founded the popular Christian magazine Prophecy Today, which began in 1985 and is now still available online as well. He regularly comments on theological and political issues, and his latest book is out now. It's called The Reshaping of Britain, Church and State Since the 1960s, A Personal Reflection. And Dr. Hill joins me in the studio now. Welcome to the programme. Thank you. I wanted to start by asking about prophetic words, because this is something obviously you're you're known for in setting up uh, Prophecy Today. Do you feel like God has given you a particular message for the UK in 2019? Uh, certainly. Uh, the message uh, is, is, I don't go in for um, um, modern uh, prophecy. Uh, a lot of the um, stuff that it comes out from people today in the particularly in the charismatic churches is um, very trite and um, trivial uh, and um, uh, I really follow the biblical pattern of the eighth century to fifth century uh, biblical prophets uh, whose um, ministry was much more looking at what was happening around them in the world uh, looking at the um, uh, domestic scene and looking at the um, uh, international horizon and what was uh, likely to come upon Judah and uh, and Israel in those days um, and I follow very much that kind of um, um, prophetic uh, uh, calling rather than um, uh, seeking um, words of knowledge and all that sort of thing that t- today I don't go in for that uh, but you still you say you know you feel you do have a message for the UK oh in, in, indeed uh, because um, uh, I, my background in sociology as and in theology come come together enabling me to look at trends in society and to see um, uh, what is actually happening on the ground uh, in in Parliament in in politics mm-hmm. and uh, so, uh, what is social the, change? What is the message then for 2019? Well, the, the message is we are becoming obviously more and more um, uh, secularized, um, and uh, the the chaos, of course, of Brexit is the overwhelming thing that that is happening today. Uh, the chaos and uncertainty among our politicians, um, most most of whom have no vision and no understanding of really what's going on in society, and uh, uh, hence we we have um, a nation that is really drifting, um, and. Uh, 
Uh, and it is because we lack uh, an understanding of the very nature and purposes of God. And, and that is, is basic to society. If we don't have that, if we don't have a yardstick by which to measure social change, then um, to, to see which, which changes are good and which are not good for society, mm. if we don't have that um, yardstick, uh, then of course there's chaos. And that's precisely what the situation in our, uh, in our parliament today. Well, I'm looking forward to delving more into those big issues, including Brexit, as we yeah. go through the programme today. Um, mm. You mentioned just before we came on air that you are regularly here in London and even in mm. Parliament as well. I understand you're in, in Parliament just yesterday mm. um, dealing with some of these societal issues that you mentioned and, yep. and you already said you have a background in yeah. sociology. Mm. Let's go right back to the beginning though. Tell okay. me a little bit about life growing up. Oh, I grew up in a, a Bible-believing uh, family, I was a simple faith in God and um, uh, I, I went up to university, of course, and um, uh, my um, theological education was um, uh, well, highly academic. And um, uh, Where was that? Um, uh, part in London and part in Nottingham. Right. Um, I did... Um, I did a doctorate in um, theology in Nottingham, but uh, I did uh, two or three other degrees in London as well. I taught in London University for um, a number of years. So the, the kind of mm. academic kind of background that you bring, where do you think mm. that came from in terms of growing up in early life? Did you always kind of enjoy reading? Did you always enjoy studying mm. and school mm. and that sort of thing? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Yes, um, it's hard to hard to put your finger on um, uh, things. The influence of my um, parents, of course, were, mm. were, was enormous, and um, of my church. Um, but um, uh, I experienced um, a call to ministry when I was twelve. Oh wow! Um, and very um, early, very early, yes. And I began preaching when I was fourteen. Um, still a schoolboy. Um, what I preached in those days, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I shudder to think, really. But um, uh, um, I, I preached around um, village churches, village Methodist churches. I was uh, attending a, um, a Methodist church in those days. And um, uh, my faith grew considerably, mm. obviously. And uh, um, I, I felt a strong call to um, work in the East End of London, and um, uh, I had originally grown up in in the East End of London. Right. Um, so tell me more about that moment, age twelve, when you said mm. you, you felt a call from God. What did what does that look like, age twelve? Um, I really felt that I heard um, from God. It, it was a um, um, uh, it was a harvest festival um, weekend, and my parents were um, doing the um, you know putting vegetables on the, <laughs> on the windowsills around in the church and decorating the church. And I was um, we, there was a, a, a gallery in in the church that I attended, and I was um, on my own up in the back gallery, and uh, it was there. That that I had a, a strong sense of the presence of uh, uh, of God with me, and um, it was at that point that I felt um, a call right. 
to ministry. How, again, it came, I, I don't know. It's, it's one of those mm. things that, that happens. That, yeah, uh, well, I imagine mm. uh, sensing something so profound at an early age mm. would then mean, like you said, you'd then study theology and you'd take it seriously and you'd take mm. preachy opportunities and that sort mm. of thing. Well, I did obviously do a, a lot of reading. And um, uh, the, the books that um, I liked to read a lot were um, uh, um, really testimonies of uh, people lives and um, uh, the um, the books that I in, enjoyed reading of ministry in the East End of London had quite, quite a profound effect on me and I, I wanted to do that mm. sort of thing really caring for um, those who were um, uh, disadvantaged in, in different ways mm. in the, the poor and the uh, um, uh, the immigrant um, and that really was a, a driving force in my life. And so when I um, left um, university, my first church I took um, was in West London. Um, and it was right at the time of the Windrush generation coming. And uh, I got involved with that. And um, uh, I, I wrote a book called... Um, uh, gosh, what was my first book called? Um, it's hard to remember uh, when you've written so many, I'd I've written, imagine. <laughs> uh, yes, I've written so many. No, the first one was called um, um, Black and White in Harmony. Okay. Um, and uh, my next one was uh, about West Indian um, Christians uh, in London. It was a, a, a survey that I, I carried out mm. um, on behalf of the uh, what was then uh, the Race Relations yes. Committee. Do you feel like that was influenced also by your Christian faith? Was there almost a sort of theological underpinning to this as well, an understanding mm. that, that God cares about diversity and that we should too as well, and that a kind of social conscience in you that came from your Christian background? Well, undoubtedly, um, uh, I had a, a, a strong um, social conscience, yes. Um, and I was um, um, meeting the uh, physical needs as much as the spiritual needs of the people. Um, I didn't realise that I was doing uh, anything unusual, really, right, until yeah. the press started to take a, okay. an interest in my work. Um, um, my uh, church house became known as the Jamaican Labour Exchange <laughs> because I was um, um, finding jobs for people and finding um, accommodation. Uh, it was the, the, the age, of course, long before the race relations acts and so uh, uh, every um, corner shop of course had notices you know no blacks um, flats to let but uh, um, no Irish no dogs and no blacks uh, that was the sort of thing that was everywhere uh, and um, I had a lot of um, um, Jamaicans in particular uh, but other West Indians as well coming to my church and um, uh, I mean I loved them I worked and, and I visited their homes and uh, uh, I learned a great deal about them um, They most many of them were Pentecostals and I'd never met a Pentecostal right. in my life before you know I'd led a pretty um, uh, sheltered life I suppose um, theologically at any rate and um, uh, they made quite an impact on on me too. Wow. Uh, yeah. Mm. Uh, did, did you find your own views shifting? Oh, it, I'm sure I did. Yes, right. yes, I'm sure it, it, it grew enormously. Yeah. Um, well, uh, 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 I think the impact they made on my life was they. Um, 
when they when I visited them, they always wanted to pray with me, you know, which was a bit of an embarrassment to me because <laughs> I was the professional, you know. I'd got right. my dog collar the other, my collar the other way around, and um, uh, when they prayed too, you know, it's as though the windows of heaven opened and they, they spoke to God as though they really knew Him. <laughs> now again, that was something new to me. <coughs> That I had, um, it, it took me back to my my um, early faith and um, my simple faith long before I went up to university and had most of it destroyed um, in my theological education. Oh, um, do tell me more about that. What uh, happened? <laughs> oh well, um, uh, if you get a, a really um, academic um, uh, theological education, um, it. Um, uh, the impact is enormous, really, and uh, uh, it's in a negative a, way, though. Oh, in a negative way. In, yes. Why is that? Um, because um, most of my <clears throat> professors, I think, my uh, in um, university were uh, were not teaching um, the Bible from a, the the uh, a standpoint of faith. But much more from a standpoint of um, a, a critical right. uh, yeah. understanding. And how did that affect your own faith? Oh, uh, it, it certainly um, made me question a great deal. Right. Um, and uh, it certainly made me um, more um, inclined to uh, uh, practical um, expressions of uh, of love and. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, and doing good works really yes. rather than uh, um, simple faith in God and uh, the West Indian Pentecostals had quite an impact on me in that in in um, uh, making me really want to rediscover my own um, early faith mm. and uh, going back I was going to ask actually if there have been any points in your life because you mentioned such a strong Christian upbringing yeah. and a call from mm. God at early age. I, I was going to ask: Have there been any moments in your journey where you have really doubted your faith? Oh no, never, never, absolutely really? never. Not oh, even no. at university. When no, 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 never. Any uh, any uh, serious doubt. So, My, so I always mm. find this really interesting mm. to delve into. Mm. If if there was such a thing as a sort of scale of zero mm. percent to a hundred percent of how mm. sure mm. you are as a Christian that mm. Jesus really did live and die and rose mm. from the dead and mm. you can rece- receive forgiveness of sins for mm. you is it is it a 100 percent kind of oh absolutely 100 wow, yes really? it's never been shaken no 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 but my uh, academic um uh training certainly makes me uh, want to delve into scripture a great mm. deal more right. um and that of course is what i do that is yeah. the basis of my 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 uh, ministry really I'd love to dig a bit more into that and get in some of the details. Before we do, do you ever think, I mean, we talked about age, age 12 having a call from God. When mm. you think of your kind of calling now, mm. is that something that you can put into words and say, my calling is dot, dot, dot? No, I don't think so. No, I, I, I just knew I was being called as, as a preacher. Um, and um, uh, I, I've always... Um, um, uh, I've always been concerned about um, uh, a social application of my faith. Um, I want to see the, impli- the um, impact uh, of the gospel upon society. Um, so 
my first church was in West London, um, and I used to go up um, uh, to Tower Hill and listen to Donald Soper. Um, and when he gave up, I took over, um, speaking on Tower Hill. Uh, I used to do Wednesday lunchtimes. Um, um, and this was what sort of open air preaching? Oh, the yeah, gospel? it's an open air preaching. You just stand up and and uh, preach the gospel, and um, uh, hope you get uh, some hecklers come along. <laughs> the first hecklers come along, and uh, you get a crowd then, and then you can really wow. get going. Yeah. I wonder if in your in your lifetime have you seen attitudes to things like street preaching change? Because nowadays, I mean, there's been quite a lot of stories actually in the media of street preachers being arrested, and mm. and thankfully, I think in every case they are let go off usually without any charge at all but mm. it does strike me that as i walk down high streets and i see people street preaching mm. generally they don't really attract much of a crowd and I, i'm just wondering has that always been the case or were there mm. moments that you can remember growing up where people almost had more of a respect for street preaching or for the bible oh um the, I, I never went to um um, High Park Corner. Uh, well, I, I went there, but I never uh, spoke there. Uh, I used to speak on Tower Hill. But the the, uh, uh, the crowd I used to get was always uh, dealing with um, social issues from a gospel standpoint. Um, but people were interested. Oh were gosh, yes, right. yes, oh yes, yeah. Because yeah. that's changed, doesn't it? Um, I think it probably has. I don't really follow the uh, the, the trend today, but um, I think what uh, happens a lot, though, is that um, uh, people of other faiths go there and um, try to provoke the um, uh, the street preachers, um, particularly, or uh, and those who are. Um, have other sexualities to um, try to goad them into quoting the Bible, um, certain passages which uh, causes um, uh, causes conflict. Really, you've written many books over the years, over forty, as I mentioned at the beginning. Yeah. So why write this latest one, the reshaping of Britain? Um, because. What has happened in 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 Britain um, over that period uh, is a, a social revolution, um, and that um, the gospel has very largely been um, sidelined, and um, uh, not uh, had the impact that it should have had, and particularly because the, the churches themselves haven't understood the um, uh, the social trends and the changes that are taking place uh, and understand my my particular um, ministry is to understand social change in the concept of the purposes of God uh, of how God is working out his purposes you have to first of all start with an understanding of the very nature of God um, and uh, and his purposes as revealed in scripture and when you understand that and begin to look then at um, trends in social change uh, it's, it's an entirely different mm. perspective well in terms of change and social change the one that we're living through right now, and it doesn't get much bigger than this, arguably, mm. is, of course, the dreaded B word, Brexit. Mm. And you've said before that Brexit is a direction of the Lord's will and that God enabled it to happen. Why do you believe that? 
Uh, certainly, I believe that because the European Union, which was um, a great idea um, at first, um, uh, has been taken over by secular humanists. Um, and um, uh, you've only got to go to Brussels to see the... Um, Statue outside, and uh, uh, and all the. Um, um, Sorry, which statue is this? Um, uh, it, it's a statue of Europa and uh, the Beast. Right. Um, and um, uh, and what does that signify? Well, it, it certainly signifies that. Um, um, it certainly. Let's start that again. Uh, it it certainly signifies that um, the European leaders um, have rejected the um, uh, Chris, Christian history of of Europe and turned away. Uh, and this was uh, turned away to other gods, really, uh, and to secular humanism. But um, uh, they also um, the um, opening of the Gotthard Tunnel um, in two thousand seventeen, I think it was. Um, with all the European leaders uh, present, um, uh, they had a, a display of um, um, uh, sexual intercourse between humans and goats and said that this was um, a reflection of um, the uh, spiritual heritage of Europe, that uh, this was the the uh, kind of thing that... Just, uh, just go back to the, the statue you mentioned outside. You, you said there's a, a statue, is it, of a, of a beast outside? Well, it, it's, it's the bull. It's a bull, yes, right. it's a bull. So, mm. so presumably the EU... Mm would say that this signifies i don't know yeah it does and the the european parliament also has been built on um um what is supposed to be the um um tower of babel um uh, kind of construction um uh, it, it's very much um a secular humanist and uh, the the whole um, um constitution of the european union um uh, deliberately rejected um, any mention of Christianity. And uh, uh, for this reason, um, uh, I believe it is right for Britain to get out of the European Union and to put our trust in God. And if we did that, we would undoubtedly uh, find both blessing and prosperity. What would that blessing and prosperity look like? Would that be financial, economic? Would of it course, be... yeah. So, so you think we would be better off economically? Oh, absolutely. No doubt at all. Absolutely no doubt. Because that does yeah. seem to be a matter for debate at this point, because mm. we have not left yet and no one knows for sure. But you seem very confident that... Mm. Do you think this would be immediate, that our economy would immediately have an upturn? Uh, certainly not. No, right. I think... Um, Just in the long term? Yeah. Um, probably not all, all that long. Um, but uh, within a couple of years, I believe, that we would be uh, uh, seeing um, um, uh, considerable... Um, effect upon mm. positive effect upon trade. Thinking back to the the time of the referendum mm. and and the build up to it, I noticed a lot of church leaders were quite ca- not all, but a lot of church leaders were careful not to voice their political perspective on Brexit, on mm. which way they would be voting before the referendum. And I think even now, mm. a lot of churches would do the same because mm. they acknowledge in their congregations there will be good Christians who voted to leave and good mm. Christians who voted to remain. Mm. And I guess they would seek to not want to bring what they would see as a political division into the church and they would not want to divide over what they would see as secondary political issues. Do you think that's a wise way of church leaders dealing with politics? 
I think church leaders have to make up their own minds, of course, and um, if they have um, uh, um, a, a strong biblical um, foundation to their ministry, that's what they that's the that's what they should be declaring, and they should um, have the um, um, boldness to declare what they believe. Right. So you think church leaders? if they have a biblical reason for either Remain or for Brexit, should be preachy about that from the Of front. course, that should be their, their stand, yes. You've uh, been talking about, in the past, you, you've said there's been some dangerous teaching um, from people who've been selective with Scripture. And uh, you talked about how people can sometimes be quite selective with Scripture and make predictions about future events. And when you founded Prophecy Today in 1985, you talked about you wanted to rescue prophecy from false teaching. And you talked about wild interpretations of passages in Daniel and in Revelation. Mm -hmm. Do you think (coughs) since then you have succeeded in rescuing prophecy from that reputation, negative reputation it has in some parts of this kind of some of the excesses and some of the wildness of picking out just one or two verses here and there and then immediately applying it to our um, to today's situation without much thought. Do you think you've succeeded in rescuing prophecy from that kind of a reputation? Well, it's not really a, a case of rescuing it. Um, uh, you just have to wait for um, uh, the false um, uh, teachings to be proved wrong. If the predictions don't come true, obviously uh, it, it's not true. And right. a, a lot of the predictions were about um, Mr. 666 and uh, all those sort of things and, and the money uh, failing and so on. And those things have not uh, taken place. Um, so, uh, and there were other, a lot of predictions about immediate revival and yes. uh, they've often, not been fulfilled. Often the problem I found with some of this is mm. when you talk to people and you say, you know, you predicted that this terrible thing would happen mm. and it didn't. Quite mm. often you hear the response, oh, well, that's because we prayed. Because, you know, we, mm. we told people, Christians, you have to pray against this and then it didn't happen. So it was an answer to prayer, which I find very difficult because... How then can we judge anything from being true or being false? Um, I don't think that's a valid question at all. No, I don't either. I, I find it really hard because you think, well, it's, it's almost like a kind of get out of jail free card, isn't it? You think, well, if it didn't happen, it's because we, because we prayed. I really struggle with that. Do you, do you feel the same? Absolutely, yeah. I think another way, another way you've put this is in what, what you do with your ministry is you want to foretell to declare the word of God mm. rather than foretell to mm. predict. Is, is that mm. right? And can you unpack a bit more of, of that distinction for you? Yes. Um, <clears throat> the the um, writing prophets, the great biblical prophets, um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, um, very little of their ministry was actually foretelling the distant future. They were very much contemporary uh, um, um, ministering into their nation. They were looking at what was happening then and they were looking at trends as well uh, to to see um, what was likely to happen in the future. And they were always bringing that before the Lord in their prayer time. Jeremiah used to call it standing in the counsel of the Lord. Um, and um, uh, uh, Isaiah speaks about um, 
waking up first thing in the morning um, and God uh, actually dropping into his mind um, things that uh, he wanted to um, be spoken about in the nation. Um, And uh, I find that to be the the pattern that Mm. I use use myself. I always have my own quiet time at five o'clock in the morning, uh, long before uh, my telephone goes or... um, um, emails start to pour in and um, uh, at that time um, I'm able to sit quietly before the Lord and and uh, uh, spread before him the things that I'm mm. likely to do during the day mm. and to seek um, uh, his, uh, his guidance mm. on these things. That brings us to the end of part one but don't go anywhere, lots more to come from Dr Clifford Hill right after this. Premier Christianity magazine in this month's issue. Old Testament stories containing the torture, rape or murder of women come under the spotlight. In light of the Me Too movement, we ask, as Christians, how should we read these passages today? Plus, find out what true racial diversity could look like in our churches and discover the article your pastor wishes you'd read but is too embarrassed to ask. For your free copy, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. The Profile You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. Today on the show, I'm joined by Dr. Clifford Hill of Issachar Ministries, also the founder of the magazine Prophecy Today. Let's listen in to the rest of my conversation with Dr. Clifford Hill. We believe as Christians we can hear from from God and prophecy is real and you've obviously staked your whole ministry on on some of this. And at the same time, we are fallible human beings. Mm. Has there been times where you've given a word and it has turned out to be wrong? Uh, I can't remember any. Really? Mm. 100% track record then? Well, because I don't really um, go in for uh, a lot of prediction. Um, Mm. And and I approach um, my um, biblical ministry um, not only from a theological point of view, but from also a sociological. Right. So that I'm, <clears throat> I'm looking at um, what's happening in society mm. and bringing it before the Lord, yes. which is precisely what Amos did and Hosea and Jeremiah. Yes. Um, <clears throat> they, it's still quite incredible, though, to be able to say that that every every word you've given, you feel has has come true, or, or at least every word you've given has not ceased to come true. Well, that's a fact. I mean, you do, I mean, I hear what you're saying, that, that generally it's not about making predictions, but at the same time that there are some, I mean, you wrote just last summer, for example, um, you said this, you said, the world is rapidly moving into a period of incredible turmoil with Europe and Israel at the center of the battle. Mm. Once the civil war in Syria is over, the attention of the Islamic world will turn to Israel and, Brit- and Britain needs to be free of European shackles if we are to respond as we should before God. Mm. I mean, some of that, that is foretelling, isn't it? Oh, yes, certainly. Mm. So there is a place for it. And, and you're saying, mm that whenever you've foretold something, it, it has come to pass? Uh, generally, yes. <clears throat> yes, certainly. Mm. And that's, <clears throat> that's why I've written the book, because um, I've uh, shown what has been happening since uh, the 1960s, mm-hmm. um, and certainly uh, since the, right back from that time, um, I was um, uh, uh, analysing the 
the forces of change that I saw in society and saying that this is what is likely to happen then. I wrote a book um, uh, called Towards the Dawn. and I wrote that in 1979, which is um, exactly 40 years ago. And in that, I um, said that if these trends continue, we will have... Um, massive um, family breakdown uh, which will affect behaviour in uh, children and young people and uh, it will increase violence and uh, it will increase um, uncertainty and um, uh, uh, instability Mm. in in the nation. Mm. And all that is coming true today. It's everyday news. What I wrote in 1979 is everyday news today. And do you attribute that to uh, other social trends that have happened at the same time, namely people moving away from historic Christian faith and those who would say they have no faith, those numbers growing? Do do you sort of draw a parallel between those two things and say the reason we're having social difficulties is because our nation has turned its back on God? Undoubtedly, yes. There's no doubt of that at all. Um, And uh, as we have abandoned... um, uh, uh, the, the our value structure, which is based upon um, the Bible, uh, so we have um, uh, increased um, uncertainty in the nation. Mm. Uh, it's affected every every part. You see, uh, the, the 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 family is the very centre um, of uh, uh, the structure of society, um, and it's like pulling out. Um, uh, a, a central brick in a in a building uh, that the keystone. Uh, at, if you pull that out, mm. the whole building collapses, and that's precisely um, what is uh, is happening in our society. Mm. And um, uh, we are seeing the the collapse of um, the very pillars of society wow. today. It sounds like you don't have much hope for the future in that sense. Um, in one way I don't have any hope for the future no because things are going to get worse um, we are going to see uh, an incredible amount of um, uh, of um, uh, uh, instability in society um, just as we are seeing an increase in knife crime um, and all this stems back to the breakdown of family life and the fatherlessness. Um, uh, I've worked in the immigrant community uh, the whole of my working life. And um, I understand, I see what is happening. Mm. um, And therefore, I cannot have much hope Mm. um, unless there is a fundamental change in society. You are not going to do it by legislation. Mm. You're not going to do it by um, um, increasing welfare or, or, or anything like this. You're only going to change society by coming back to the fundamentals of um, uh, love and trust and faithfulness and integrity, which which are the basic values that come from our Christian um, foundations. Uh, they are the ones that have been rejected uh, in society, and we're paying the price now. On the front of your book, there's a picture of the Houses of Parliament, and you know, as you, as we've said, it is a it's a personal reflection 
on what you've seen since the 1960s and the immense social change we've been through. And there's there's a lot of personal stories of encounters of you at dealing with politicians, with some high-level church leaders. I, if we've got time, I'd love to talk a bit about your friendship um, with some of the Archbishop of Canterbury's, um, which makes for, for fascinating reading. But m- my question is this, given the immense amount of history in this book and things that you've seen, can you not point to any victories inside that building inside the houses of parliament because you have campaigned there you've worked with other christians in there has there not along the way been moments of actually yes as christians we took a stand and we saw some change even if it is small change we, we nevertheless saw something positive i can't think of any oh that's such a shame mm. no i can think of plenty the oh, opposite you can, think of some. you can think of the opposite well of course yes but yes. nothing positive so all those, because that must be quite, is that not depressing to look back on all that you've tried to achieve over decades inside Parliament and okay. campaigning and right. you haven't seen anything good come from that? Yes, of, of course I have, yes. Um, the um, uh, Video Nasties campaign that I was um, highly involved in. Tell me more about that. Um, that was in 1984. Um, okay. Uh, and that was um, at a time when um, uh, violent videos were um, uh, just being highly uh, circulated in in Britain. Um, the the video recorder really only came in the early nineteen eighties, um, and films um, depicting both sexual scenes and uh, extreme violence were um, uh, becoming um, available, and uh, uh, children of all ages were able to see them because there were no restrictions at all, um, and so. Um, uh, some members of the House of Commons and the House of Lords um, got together and they asked me to um, uh, organise um, a nationwide um, uh, survey to see what the facts were. Um, and so I did this and uh, I, I got a team of sociologists together and we um, uh, did a survey of, of schools right across the country uh, which showed um, what children were actually watching um, and we made sure that the children weren't just saying they'd seen something when they hadn't mm-hmm. um, we, by asking a number of questions about the content of, of the films they had to describe to their teachers and so on. Right. And when we got the facts, we, um, we, we presented them in Parliament um, and when um, the vote came uh, in July 1984, um, there were no... Um, no people voted against it at wow. all. Uh, Unanimous. That, that was a huge um, that is success. Huge. And you got quite a lot of press coverage at the time for this campaign as well, didn't oh, you? Oh, enormous, yes. So yes. there have been mm. some victories along the way. There have been some victories, <laughs> some yes. Okay, I'm, <laughs> I, I wasn't really quite sure what you were meaning by victories. Okay, but that certainly uh, was a good one. Um, it, it was... Um, uh, it, it introduced um, restrictions on um, uh, mm. uh, on videos, really. Yes, mm. a huge, mm. a huge topic, and mm. indeed, um, still valid uh, today. St- exactly what I was about to say. Mm. Still valid yeah. today. Mm. Um, another big mm. topic that, that mm. I just I thought of a moment ago because mm. it, it really relates to what happened just a, a couple of miles from where we're sitting, just mm. very, very recently. Mm. We've seen huge protests in London. Um, in recent weeks, recent months, around climate change, Mm. um, including some Christians getting involved in in some of these Mm. um, quite widespread protests, really believing that the planet is in crisis and we need to take urgent action to 
to prevent a very almost apocalyptic scenario if, if you read read some figures in this movement mm. what do you make of all that well the bible the bible certainly says that that's what's going to happen that the uh, the, uh, the planet is going to burn up yeah so uh, <laughs> uh, so from that standpoint um, they um, uh, have looked at the physical facts and they certainly are in accordance with what um, is forecast in um, uh, in the New Testament. But is what's forecast in the New Testament a, a geological problem of, I don't know, the planet becoming too hot, for example, or is it, <laughs> is it God's judgment? Uh, I think um, the um, biblical verdict would be uh, the, the same. One and the same so thing. You, right. So you actually think that they're right in identifying the problem. Would you? But would you join their campaign for governments to take change on this or not? No, I wouldn't really. Because you think no. it's inevitable and it's going to happen I th- anyway. I think it's inevitable. It's going to happen anyway. Yeah. How does how does that um, tally with some of the teaching in Genesis where we're instructed to care for and to look after the planet? Is that not a valid interpretation yeah. of those verses? Of course, it well? is. Yes, we should. We should look after the planet, yes. But you're saying we should we look after the planet, but also the planet's going to burn up. So is there not a contradiction there? Um, I don't think so, no. I think that um, all um, life has a, a beginning and an ending. And um, just as great trees um, grow to enormous uh, size, but um, or, or eventually decay... Um, and I think the planet will do that eventually. But whether it, it does in our lifetime or uh, a, a long time ahead, I really don't know. I, I, I don't forecast dates and times. <laughs> no. I, um, I wanted to talk a bit about your relationship with Rowan Williams. There's actually a whole chapter in the book mm. about this, and we don't have a huge amount of time. Mm. But I think just briefly, perhaps from some of the things you've already said, mm. I think for a lot of people would think, wow, I think Dr. Hill and Rowan Williams are, are quite different in some of their beliefs, in some of the ways they view the world. And yet you actually had, from what I can gather from the book, quite a close friendship with him. Mm. Um, tell me more about how that friendship began, the kind of conversations you had, because this was why he was Archbishop of Canterbury. You had some contact with him, didn't you? Uh, yes, I was very close to him. Yes, yes, and um, uh, but I, I don't think that our um, um, biblical views would be uh, uh, all that different. Oh, really? Um, um, uh, I think that um, um, uh, he has a great love for the Lord Jesus, and he has a great love for Scripture, and um, we we um, both have a, a certain amount of scholarship that uh, mm. so we are able to to discuss um, uh, scriptures from a, a scholarly standpoint. Did you ever work together, on projects together? Um, yeah, um, I'd, I don't really want to discuss um, uh, this very much. It, it's in it, the book, it, though, I mean. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I'm quite happy to go to that. Yes, um, I did... Um, uh, for, for example, um, um, bring um, some um, Jewish Christians, um, Messianic believers, um, uh, to because I believe very strongly that um, the um, uh, um, he- Hebraic, uh, the Hebraic roots of our Christian faith, 
um, are important for us to study today to enable us to understand the gospel from a Jewish culture mm. uh, which um, our uh, Jewish believers in Jesus are able to give to us and um, Rowan had never met any and didn't didn't really? know any of them personally oh, wow. so I brought a number of them over from um, Israel and um, uh, to link in with British um, um, uh, Jewish believers in Jesus, and um, we had a, a whole day of um, of um, consultation, uh, that sort of thing. Really, mm. reading through the the book, mm. you, quite a number of, of fairly high profile names are mentioned, not just Rowan Williams, but um, other Christians, and and uh, you are actually quite critical, I think, of, of some fairly high profile names. And I don't really want to go there in, in mentioning who these people are. But I was surprised to see them because I think some of the names you're quite critical of, they would actually share some of your commitments to believe in the Bible as the word of God. You might mm. differ in your interpretations of it, mm. but many of them would be kind of evangelical names. Um, what was the reason for for criticising publicly in a book fellow Christians? Because some some might feel that that just adds division into the church. So so what's the reason for, for going there? Um, the reason... Uh, my perspective always is a biblical one, and um, uh, and uh, I do take a, a scholarly biblical view because I'm always looking at the um, context of uh, every part of the Bible. Um, so when I'm looking at, um, for example, uh, Jeremiah, I look at the uh, 5th century BC, 6th century BC um, uh, state of Israel and the uh, and its, its place in um, uh, history of the, in the Middle East. And um, then I'm able to understand the the meaning of the of the pronouncements that he made, um, and that's always my my perspective. So um, uh, when I'm I speak about um, my working with um, church leaders uh, uh, over the the years, um, always uh, I bring my own critical faculties. But you have no problem in that. naming names and calling well, people to repent. Well, of course not. No, no, I believe in speaking the truth. And so uh, uh, I will speak about my own um, um, work with um, church leaders, yes. Uh, but, I mean, some would say, does that not just create division in publicly denouncing other leaders and calling them to oh, repent? Oh, I've never done that. No, I've never publicly denenounced anyone. Okay, but no. you are. I mean, you maybe maybe denounced is is the wrong word. But it's you would totally have, the wrong word. Okay. Yes. Well, would you agree mm. though? You are highly critical of other. No, I'm not highly critical. No, 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 no. Um, I mean, okay. Well, just for an example here, you you talk in the book about Sandy Miller, and you say that he should have repented for inviting certain leaders to speak at his church. No, I don't say that at all. You do, it's in the book. No, it isn't. Um, what's in the book is that um, uh, he made um, a prediction of um, um, uh, it, the imminent revival was going to, to happen in October 1990, and it didn't happen. And um, when things don't happen, I think, um, uh, and people have made uh, a specific um, statement that I think uh, to the extent that the, uh, uh, the the statement has been made public, I think the uh, uh, apology should be also of that, uh, um, that level of, of public. We'll move on then. Um, 
although I did want to, to mention just briefly the Toronto blessing because so much of it is in the book. Mm. You talk um, a lot about this period of, I guess, recent church history. And for those who aren't aware, this was something which happened uh, in the 1990s mm-hmm. in uh, Toronto, in a church in Toronto, where it was it was talked about an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and people at one point were travelling from certainly many parts of the Western world and further mm. beyond to mm. go to Toronto and people were speaking in tongues there was prophecy there were claims of healing and there was also some behavior that many including yourself have have criticized which Mm. um, would be viewed as uh, excessive let's say and we Mm. can go into more of the details uh, if if you Mm. like Mm. Um, but this does form a large part of of the book and I think Mm. a lot of people I mean I've spoken to a lot of charismatic leaders who would actually freely admit that not just at Toronto but in many meetings, charismatic meetings since, there can sometimes be things that are excessive, that are not from God, that are from people working up in themselves. I've even heard a few charismatic leaders admit that there could be demonic activity happening in the same room at the same time as God also doing things. So so these things are tricky to talk about. But nevertheless, from what I've read, it it seems like you would really write off this whole movement as being quite wrong. Is that true? No, I wouldn't write off the whole movement, of course not, no. Um, I I believe, in fact, that um, uh, the charismatic movement uh, that began in the 1960s um, and ran right the way through to the 1990s was a genuine move of God. Um, Because, and I've said very clearly in the book that I believe that that was a time when there could have been revival in this in this country Um, and of course when any um, move of God takes place the enemy will always get in or our human um, um, imaginations and um, uh, our enthusiasm um, goes over the top uh, and muddies the waters Uh, and that's in fact what happened then Um, but um, I think the um, it, from my point of view, the uh, saddest thing really was that um, uh, the revival did not take place right. v- very largely because of the excesses and um, the um, the wrong interpretation, wrong understanding of um, of prophecy in the Bible, um, and moving away from um, biblical foundations. So uh, instead of understanding um, what was happening in society <clears throat> with the enormous change that was taking place, uh, and understanding it within the context of the purposes of God being fulfilled and being worked out I- in our lifetime. Um, uh, a, a number of church leaders really got overexcited um, and um, uh, consequently moved away, I think, from um, uh, the uh, outpouring uh, uh, of the um, the power of God and, and, and the love of God that could have transformed society. So it didn't really move outside the church. It, it didn't move into a movement of uh, got preaching the gospel to outsiders. Um, it became very much introspective. Would not the Alpha Course be an example of this? The Alpha Course um, yeah, was popularised around this time. It happened around the same time mm. as Toronto, the outpouring mm. of the Spirit mm. built into the Alpha mm. Course yeah. is a Holy Spirit away day where mm. things of the Spirit are encouraged, including mm. prophecy and speaking in tongues. So mm. some would argue, actually, no, that, that this movement that, be, that began in Toronto, well, as you say, began in the 1960s, but we were talking about Toronto as a key moment. There was good evangelistic 
fruit from that. If we just look at the Alpha course, hundreds of thousands of people around the world mm. come to know God through that course that came out mm. of this movement. Yes, I'm not going to disagree with that. Certainly not. The mm. reason I, I raise that though is because you just said that you felt like this movement of the Spirit, specifically Toronto, you said that it had not managed to go out into preaching the gospel and it was mm. too inward looking. So is that, not, is that not the... No, what I've said is 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 correct. Um, the um, uh, Alpha movement, of course, yes. Uh, the Alpha uh, um, uh, uh, is a lot of, of of good in that, and um, uh, I know churches today that um, uh, have uh, uh, are using it very effectively too. I think the um, uh, the Alpha uh, course itself has changed um, quite a lot, though, um, with. Um, some of the um, um, more questionable parts of it have been refined now. The uh, you've said before that the the major decline of Christianity in Britain has to be located in the rise of unbelief and loss of biblical conviction amongst church leaders of all denominations. And you know, from reading the book, it sounds like you're saying that yes, of course, there have been problems in the secular world. Of course, laws have been changed by those who don't share our faith and and you would you would say that some of the laws have been made have gone away from christianity but it, it seems to me that you're also saying that church leaders themselves have to take responsibility for what's happened in this country can you talk more about yes that? i do certainly um i think that uh, the obligation uh, is upon church leaders uh, not only to know the bible and to understand the nature and purposes of god and how he's working out his purposes today but also to understand um, social change to understand what is happening in society um, the two should go together uh, to enable to enable us to preach the gospel um, uh, effectively uh, in the social environment in which we are living uh, and, and that, I believe, has been missing in many church mm. leaders. Um, it, it's not sufficient just to to teach the Bible and or, or, or to love, you know, to to speak about the love of God. We have to understand what's happening in society today, um, in in order to be really effective mm. with the gospel. What are the most pressing issues for you at the moment, at a societal level, that you're most concerned about? Well, certainly I'm concerned about the breakdown of family life. That's the central thing. Mm. Um, and it is really the most dangerous thing that is happening in society. Because uh, if, um, uh, if, if, if the family is not stable, um, if the family is dysfunctional and there's, um, there's um, violence, domestic violence going <coughs> on and um, children being subjected to... Uh, uh, mm. abuse in, in all kinds mm. um, then um, uh, the whole of society yes. becomes more and more unstable are you, are you able to talk a bit more about how you personally have been involved in that mm. issue and because you know I, I mentioned before you spent time in parliament mm. um, talking to MPs on this yeah. how, how does this work itself out in your own day-to-day -day ministry um, well all my ministry has been in inner city areas of London. So, yes, I've been involved in race riots, street riots, and uh, um, we moved from Tottenham into East Ham at one point in my ministry. And um, then the night that we moved into East Ham, 
uh, an 18 year old boy was stabbed to death on the pavement in front of our house um, and my wife and I really trembled before the Lord we had got three young children and um, we really uh, were saying Lord what have we brought our children into into this society yes um, uh, uh, I, of course I the whole of my working life I have been I- involved um, both um, practically and uh, and spiritually mm. of course in um, and um, uh, I mean all the uh, we 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 believed in um, working out a principle of um, um, community-based evangelism that was what we were doing we uh, we were meeting the needs of the community and we used sociological uh, understandings um, my sociology was of in- immense uh, help in this in the mission of the gospel because we first of all um, did a survey uh, of uh, of the um, local community to see what the needs uh, were and then we were able mm. to adjust to meeting those needs right. uh, in a physical way yeah. uh, as well as um, uh, preaching the gospel yes there was um it's been in the news a lot recently in the in the church of england in particular um it was really the the right reverend philip bishop philip north who spoke of the church of england really accused his own denomination of neglecting the poor and more recently, the Church of England has been talking about how they want to establish a church on every council housing estate in the country yeah. and really return to some of these more, mm. let's say, deprived mm. areas. Mm. That must encourage you to see... Well, of course, of um, the whole mission of the church um, uh, it should be reaching beyond... The church only exists to, to reach beyond it's itself. It's that great quote, isn't it? Is it William mm. Temple? The church mm. is the only institution that exists for the benefit of its non-members? Precisely, precisely. William Temple were, had got it right. Uh, in fact, I think he was probably our last really great Archbishop of Canterbury. But uh, that's a personal view. Um, but, um, uh, you see, I, like, I, I want to see the church understanding what's happening in society and mm. therefore able to preach the unchanging word of God in a changing society. And that's what uh, the ministry um, that I'm mm. involved in now, Issaca Ministries, is, is aiming to do. Understanding what's going on and applying the gospel yes. to that society. We haven't had a chance to talk more about... Um magazines because obviously for you founded prophecy today a mm-hmm. magazine now available That's online right. and, and obviously mm-hmm. myself yeah. my work at premier christianity mm-hmm. i'm sure we could have had a whole hour's discussion about sure. media yeah. and all those things but mm-hmm. it, it, you mentioned mm-hmm. about um archbishop of canterbury's and sometimes i wonder if things get lost in translation in the media mm-hmm. and i obviously have to hold my hands up as a journalist i make mistakes mm-hmm. as much as anyone else but you hear this a lot from christians of almost a kind of mm-hmm. distrust Mm. in the media Mm. at the moment. And I thought an example of this might actually have been back in November 2017. You may remember, you mentioned it in your book, when Archbishop Justin Welby uh, sent a letter to Church of England primary schools. And in in the book, you say that he Mm. encouraged them to facilitate Mm cross-dressing among children. But Mm. I actually wonder if this was an example of the media not quite getting it right, because I, I looked up the original letter and it says that play amongst children should be a hallmark of creative exploration. Pupils need to be able to play with the many cloaks of identity, mm. sometimes quite literally with the dressing up box. Mm. And this was framed around really advice to do with bullying. It said that all bullying causes profound damage and we must mm. avoid at all costs diminishing the dignity of any individual to a stereotype. Mm. And when you put those sorts of headlines about 
or even the, the quote in your book about cross-dressing, when you put it into context, to me, it sounds more like when you have very young kids messing around with, oh, should I put a tiara on or a policeman's helmet, that we should allow that and we should stamp out bullying. So is it really fair to say that this was Justin Welby endorsing cross-dressing amongst children? You are really touching on um, issues that uh, are of far greater depth, really, than... Um, uh, uh, popular journalism is able to look at and what we are really seeing happening in our schools is a, f- a far more profound uh, than just um, the dressing up box that the kids always like to do this sort of thing and of course they do and that's that's fine yes because i think that's all that justin welby was really referring to would you not agree well if if, if that was so right that would be fine yes um but, but you're concerned there's a wider it, it, narrative going absolutely on. um we, we can see it uh, in, in our schools today and um uh, in the um what is is being discussed in parliament right now um and um uh, the whole of our um, religious education uh, is now being used um, as a, a tool for um, um, propagating the uh, LGBT uh, agenda. And that is what is concerning a lot of members of Parliament. The meeting that I was at yesterday um, was uh, the MPs were expressing their great concern over this. I'm Sam Hales and you have been listening to my conversation with the Reverend Dr Clifford Hill, the sociologist and theologian. His latest book is out now. It's called The Reshaping of Britain. We'll be back next week with another interview for you. See you then.